So we're in week four of our Lead by Example series, and this is for us, as I've said in the past weeks, to learn more about Christian leadership, how we can apply it to every area of our life, including service in the church. In week one, we learned about being an example of faith. In week two, we learned about being an example of integrity. Last week, we learned about being an example of commitment. And this week, we are going to learn, today we're going to learn about being an example of love. Now, we ended off last week of three areas we need to work on for being an example of commitment, and uh, that was passion. And if you remember, I quoted Romans 10.1, where Paul says, my Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So Paul had a passion to see people trust Jesus because of that, he had a commitment to spreading the gospel message. It wasn't just a passion for the message. It was a passion for those who would receive the message because Paul wanted all to experience eternal life. Now, where did Paul get this passion for people? Well, I believe that it was sparked by the love that Paul had for people, which was based upon his obedience to Jesus, because Jesus actually teaches love. So if we want to lead by example, we need to love others. So the question then becomes, how do we do that? Well, we need to look to Jesus for guidance and strength. So what is the guidance that Jesus gives that we should obey and that Paul obeyed? Now, the first, first is Christian leaders need to love God. Now, the context of the passage I'm going to read is that a group of Sadducees came up to Jesus and were debating him. These were kind of teachers of the law, leaders in the community. They were debating Jesus and saying there was no resurrection. Jesus shut them down by reminding them that God told Moses that he is the God of the living and there is a resurrection to eternal life. Now, a scribe comes up because he heard them disputing Jesus. Now, a scribe of that day was like a lawyer or a judge, would be, would be like a lawyer of a, or a judge of today. So the scribe, after hearing Jesus answer the Sadducees, realized Jesus knew what he was talking about. And he wanted to dig in a little deeper and ask Jesus more questions. So we pick up in Mark 12, 28 through 31, and it says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing he answered them well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So this scribe, a man of the law, asks what is the most important commandment to abide by, because he's a man of the law, and he wants to know, what's the most important law that I should follow? Jesus answers him by quoting something known to the Jewish population, the Hebrews at that time, as the Shema, which was an affirmation of the Jewish faith, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is probably the first scripture that the Hebrew children would learn in their life, would commit to memory. So Jesus goes back to the basics, okay? Back to the basics. Basically, Jesus was teaching the most important command is, very is a very basic command, but all commands will actually flow out of that command, and that is love for God. Because love for God directs our lives. When we love God, 
all things, all other things fall into place. When we love God, it inspires our obedience to him. When we love God, we desire to please him. Without love for God, it's actually impossible to follow God. This is why the first thing we need to learn in life and the first thing the Jewish people taught their children was you need to love God. Now, if we desire to lead anyone else and do not have love for God, we're going to actually be leading them down the wrong path. So then the question becomes this. Well, how do we love God? Jesus tells us how in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So Jesus then goes on the same passage to teach the second area of love a Christian leader should pursue, and that is we should love our neighbor. Love our neighbor. Jesus said this. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, loving our neighbors as ourselves, meaning this, we need to ask ourselves this question. What do I want for me? Okay, what do I want for me? That's an easy answer for you, right? Most of you want health. You want safety. You want blessings. You want good relationships. You want things to go the way that you think they should go. Why? Because we love ourselves, don't we? We love ourselves. So the challenge and command from Jesus is that we should love other people that way, okay? We should love other people that way. All the good that you want for yourself, that's the way you need to love other people. We can display this on many different levels based upon how we interact with others and the relationship we have with them. And obviously, the closer the relationship, the more opportunities we have to show love. But this is what we need to remember. Everyone is our neighbor. Remember way back to the parable series and we learned about the parable of the Good Samaritan? And in that parable, we learned the Samaritan was the one who actively showed love because he knew if I was laying on the side of the road, half dead and beaten up, I would want someone to come up and help me out. So an easy way to remember how to show love to others is something known as the golden rule. Do you remember the golden rule? The golden rule is found in Matthew chapter 12. Simply saying, we mo most of us grew up saying, do unto others, right, as you would have them do to you. Matthew 7, 12 actually says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So if you're wondering, how can I love other people? Well, do to them as you would have them do to you. So basic, basically, it's easy to know what to do. Whatever you would want someone to do for you in a situation, do it for them if you're able to. If you have the ability to, if you have the resource to, and you see their need, put yourself in their shoes and say, what would I want somebody to do for me? And return that. Do that for them. Which brings us to the third thing Christian leaders should do, is we should love our fellow Christians. We should love one another. This seems easy enough, right? Well, here's what happens. Our fellow believers become, in some cases, as close as family. That's why sometimes we refer to the church as the family of God. Now, most of you realize that sometimes families have issues, and they don't always deal with those issues the right way. 
Many of you have some pretty messed up and toxic families, okay? Many of you come from messed up, toxic families that did not deal with issues the proper way. I'm not saying that to judge. I'm saying that as, you know what? That's kind of families, right? People handle things in messed up and toxic ways. So now we get close to our fellow Christians, and if they're just like family, and we get comfortable with them just like family, issues arise, and guess what? We handle them just like family, messed up and toxic. So maybe you've cut people off. Maybe you say things that are hurtful or act in ways that are destructive to the relationship. See, Jesus knows this can happen. And in fact, in John 13, leading up to the verses that I'm going to share, Jesus tells his disciples in a very famous passage, one of you will betray me. And he's talking about Judas, one of the closest people to him that traveled around with him and watched him do ministry and helped him do ministry actually betrays Jesus. So then Jesus says at the end of that passage, he says, a new command I give to you, that you should love one another, just as I have loved you. you. You also are to love one another. Then he says this, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is telling Christians to love other Christians. And he's teaching us that when we love our fellow Christian, others will know that we follow Jesus. So how we treat one another is a testimony to the outside world. If we bring our family messed up baggage to the family of God and then act in those ways, people are going to look and say, that's really not any different group than any other group that meets together any other social organization. So we as Christians have to dig deep and actually remember that Jesus says, how you treat your fellow Christian will dictate how other people see this fellowship. But sometimes what happens is we have a Judas, right? We have someone that we were once close to, but they betrayed us. They hurt us. And now if we're honest with ourselves, when we think about them, we're like, yeah, I don't really like that person. In fact, I can't stand them. I don't want to be around them. They have become sort of an enemy to us, which poses a problem because the fourth thing a Christian leader needs to do is love our enemies. Ah, you know what? Loving the people that love me, that's what I like to do, right? I'm sure that's what you like to do. But loving our enemies? See, most of the times we don't just have enemies. We actually make enemies, okay? We hurt someone, someone hurts us, they become an enemy. Sometimes we consider someone an enemy and they don't even realize we feel that way. Other times somebody considers us an enemy and we don't even realize they feel that way until they finally cross us. But how do we deal with and handle our enemies? How we deal with and handle our enemies is actually a testimony to our Christian leadership. Because we always want to take the high road. Here's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 43. He says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and send rains on, on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, there's a few things I need to deal with in this passage. And the first is Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Jesus is not teaching or saying that the Old Testament taught to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In fact, in Leviticus 19.18, it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of, the, uh, of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Exodus 23.4-5, it says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it to him. In Proverbs 25, 21, these are all Old Testament passages. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. So what is Jesus referring to when he's saying, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Well, unfortunately, the religious leaders of that day misinterpreted the law that Jesus was teaching to love your neighbor, that it would imply love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. So a popular teaching of that day is love those who are close to you, hate those that are against you. Sadly, that was the example of the leaders of that day. It almost sounds kind of familiar to this day, right? Popular in political culture, right? If somebody doesn't agree with you, they must be the enemy, and then you need to hate them. That's unfortunate in our culture that even leaders sometimes support that kind of ideology. So the next thing I want to point out in this passage is that Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is teaching us to love our enemies and pray for them. Now, let me ask you a question. I know I've asked you this before, and I've talked about this before. Have you ever prayed for someone that you are at odds with? Someone that's hurt you, someone that's just mean to you. Have you ever prayed for them? It's kind of awkward, isn't it? Because when you pray for somebody, a lot, and I'm not saying the me-centered prayers, like help this person to stop doing what they're doing. I'm talking the blessing prayers. Like, I want you to bless this person, God. Have you ever done that? An enemy, someone you're at odds with. It's kind of awkward. It's almost hard because when you're going to the Father who loves you and is the good giver of gifts, you're saying, God, I want you to bless that person that I'm not in agreement with. For the most part, when it comes to our enemies, we have a lot of negative feelings. And Jesus is teaching us the only way to cross over into having positive feelings towards that person is by spending time praying for them. Because prayer can obviously change them, but prayer will change you and the way that you act and respond towards them. But the question becomes this, are we supposed to turn to that enemy and say like, okay, now everything's good and you're my best friend. 
We're going to hang out all the time again. Maybe somebody hurt you and you have a broken relationship with them. And is, is Jesus saying, now you have to turn that enemy into your best friend? Well, I don't think he is. Because listen to what Jesus is teaching in verse 45, what he says in verse 45, and this is really interesting. He says this, for he, talking about the father, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain to the just and the unjust. Do you know what this is called? This is something called common grace. That means that God blesses even people that don't love him. Even evil people, God blesses. The fact that they're actually breathing today is a blessing for them. So this is called common grace, meaning that God in his goodness even blesses the most evil enemy to some degree. Now, this means for us, we treat our enemies with dignity, respect. We do not seek to harm them, but look to help them when possible. This is common grace from us, and this is the way that we need to love them. Because some people take this and say, okay, now this person that we're at odds with, I have to become best friends with them or something? No, God is saying, you know what? No, you have to treat them with dignity and respect, not seek to harm them. That's the way you're going to love them. You're going to give them common grace and treat them the way that I would treat them in my common grace. See, but then what Jesus says in verse 46 through 48 really gets to the heart of the issue because it talks to our heart. And here's what it says in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Listen, what Jesus is saying here is here's the heart of the issue. If you only treat others good that treat you good or show others love that show you love, that just makes you an average person, okay? That just makes you an average person that's in a mutual relationship. You do nice things for me, I do nice things back. We have this agreement, but if you cross me, I'm not going to do anything nice for you anymore. Now you're my enemy. If you just say, like, you know what, I'm only going to be good to the people that are good to me, it just makes you pretty average and pretty unimpressive. See, the real test of character and the real test of our love is how we treat our enemies. And Jesus, in his perfection, was willing to lay down his life for his enemies. See, the best example that we have of someone treating their enemies good is Jesus. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the first part of the gospel is, is we are sinners. The scriptures tell us because of our sin, we put ourselves up as enemies of God. But Christ was willing to lay down his life for us, his enemies. And you might be saying, well, I, I didn't feel like an enemy of God. Well, your sin set you up to be an enemy of God because you're doing things that displease what God desires. 
So the scriptures teach us that Christ died for his enemies, us, laid down his life to pay the price for our sins. The scriptures teach us that all who believe that Jesus Christ laid down his life, died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and rose again three days later, will have eternal life. See, that is what a real leader does. He lays down his life in sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did. And that's why we call him our leader. Which brings us to the last thing that Christian leaders need to do in order to be an example. And that is show love by sacrifice. Jesus says in John 15, 13 through 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. See, the greatest love is the sacrifice The greatest love is sacrifice, and Christian leaders should follow the example of Jesus and make sacrifices. And a sacrifice is basically giving up something for the benefit of someone else regarding their need more important than yours. You know what? We can go through life meeting our own needs, but as Christians, and more importantly, as Christian leaders that want to set an example— We regard others' needs more important than ours. This is the example that we need to accept, and that's the example of love. This is what Jesus did, and today we remember that in communion. One of the first things that we remember in communion is that Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have a hard time loving like Jesus did. You know what? I can get up here and passionately try to inspire you to love like Jesus did. But when it comes to sacrificing, praying for and loving our enemies, doing things not out of selfishness, but being selfless, all of a sudden those things become very, very difficult. We like to talk about it. We like to hear about it. We're inspired by it. But to actually go and do it is nearly impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's why at communion, we're basically saying, you know what? I remember what you did for me, and I can't live on my own. I can't do this by myself, and I need your help. So communion is a time for us to look inside and say, you know what? I'm going to put off the sin and go to him to help me to move on. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to take out your communion elements, and I'm going to just give you about 30 seconds or so to pray to God, to remember what he's done for you, and ask him to help you love like he has loved. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This is the cup of my blood shed for you, the cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance 
of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for the fact that you have set your example of love for us. Loving other people, loving our enemies, loving you. It's a lifelong pursuit. But we know that when we do those things, we lead others to do the same. So we pray, Lord, for each one of us as Christians and as Christian leaders in our homes, in our, in our community, in our schools, in our workplace, wherever it might be. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us to, to love like you loved us. I'm thankful, Lord, for this time that we can have together in fellowship. And we just pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.